Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. We've been preaching our way through the themes of 1 Samuel last month and this. We are now in chapter 17, and I'll begin reading this most familiar story in all of the book in verse 38. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I am not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air, to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell down on the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, striking down the Philistine and killing him. There was no sword in David's hand. There are a lot of different ways to retell great history. For instance, there are several different histories of Atlanta, but my favorite history of Atlanta is where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn. It's the story of two different families in Atlanta, two Atlanta families, one black, one white, and both of these powerful families produced a mayor of the city, Ivan Allen and Maynard Jackson. But telling the history of Atlanta through two family sagas is just a clever way into the action. 
The the action-filled book of 1 Samuel uh, is telling the story of Israel's move from a loose affiliation of tribes to uniting under a king. And this story has its own clever perspective in it. Samuel is cast in the lead role in this story. He's the last of the judges of Israel, and he is the one carrying the narrative. It's, it's kind of like Samuel has one of those little GoPro cameras, and we get to see all of what's going on through Samuel and all the stories he's doing. Samuel meets the tribal elders. Remember, we did that story. They said they wanted a king. Samuel pours oil on the first king of Israel, Saul. We see that through that camera. We know now that Saul was a great disappointment to God. But again, through the lens of the GoPro, last week we got to watch the anointing of the youngest of Jesse's sons, David, the next king of Israel. But keep in mind that we saw that private ordination service. Saul and the rest of Israel has no idea that this handsome eighth son of Jesse has been chosen king. So David has been introduced to us as the next king of Israel, but he has no birthright. Nobody else knows he's going to be the next king. This isn't like uh, Charles, Prince of Wales, becoming king of England when Queen Elizabeth Elizabeth II is no longer on the throne. We know that's happening, right? But we don't know who the next king is in this story. And so these stories that we're into right now are the stories between his anointing and his kingship that tell us that he is set apart. He's different. They show his unique characteristics in Israel's narrative. And since last week's story of the anointing of David, the young David was called on to play his harp to soothe the troubled king of King Saul. And so today's story is only the third time we're introduced to the young David, and it is by far the most famous. I mean, anybody who's ever waited too long in a pediatric waiting room knows the story of David and Goliath, right? It's become, this unlikely victory has become the cliche for all underdogs. We all know this story. But the Philistines were a seafaring group of people from the Greek island of Crete. And and they'd made their way by boat to Palestine. They settled along the west coast there. And in the second half of the 11th century B.C., they started moving east winding their way upstream with the goal of capturing the mountain ridge near Bethlehem and splitting Saul's kingdom in two. The Israelites were kind of clustered at that time in a mountain region in the west. But when King Saul finds out about this encroaching Philistine army, the king puts an army together of his own and heads out to meet them, to meet them before they get into the settlement, right? And the meeting place for this was the Elah Valley. We have the Philistines on the southern ridge of the Elah Valley, the Israelites on the northern side, and both armies are looking down into this vast valley that separates them and staring each other down. But nobody wants to be the first one to move. 
Because if you go down into the valley, you have to go back up to where their army's sitting. Which means even the Philistines, who had the stronger army, are going to be goners for sure if you're going downhill and the other group's coming uphill. So they're just waiting it out. Finally, the Philistines had enough of waiting it out. So they sent their fiercest warrior and a shield-bearer down into the valley, and they met, the man they sent was a giant. According to the King James Version, he was six cubits and a span tall. That's about six foot nine or so. Bronze helmet, full body armor, javelin, spear, sword. So now it's time for the Israelite army to send their great warrior, their brawny warrior into the valley, and they would have a two-man duel. Instead of army against army, they each side would just bring their representative best and fight it out. Problem was, nobody on the Israelite side raised his hand. You remember the physical description, right? Six, nine, all that. The giant yells out, Choose a man, let him come down to me. If he prevail in battle against me and strike me down, we shall be slaves to you. But if I prevail and strike him down, you will be slaves to us and serve us. Winner take all. And they waited and nobody moved. I imagine some folks nominated some of their friends, encouraged some people. You know you're the toughest among us, right? Nobody's willing to suit up and go in the valley. And about then, kid brother brings lunch. Remember, David's the kid brother of the seven, with the seven older strong sons of Jesse. He's too young for the battlefront, but the other sons of Jesse are part of Israel's army defense. And it just so happens that as Goliath is yelling his challenge, the young David has shown up with food supplies from home to give to his brothers on the ridge. David's handing out bread, cheese to his brothers, and he hears the giant's challenge. And the feisty David says, I'll go fight that guy. King Saul says, no, no. He says, you cannot go against this Philistine and do battle with him, for you are a lad, and he is a man of war from his youth. David says, while tending sheep, I've had to kill lions and bears. Oh, my. And the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of the Philistine. Cocky or brave, I don't know. But in any case, young David is the only one willing to go. So Saul suits him up for battle, bronze helmet, coat of mail, Saul's sword. David can hardly pick up Saul's sword. And David finally says, I can't even walk in all of this. So David took off Saul's armor, grabbed five smooth stones from the river, headed down to the valley with five rocks, a slingshot, his staff, and faith that God would provide. This story just has so many possibilities for preaching. 
But I have been musing about what it might say to the church. There are plenty of personal applications of this story, applications of the way God has provided for us personally in the face of giant challenges that threaten us. I've been preaching themes throughout 1 Samuel, but the truth is I could have spent all of January and February just preaching this story and looking at different giant challenges that we are facing. But this week I've pondered about the church. We've already talked about Israel wanting to be like everybody else. Remember, Israel wanted a king because the neighboring cultures all had kings. Everybody else is doing it. Israel up until then had been ruled by God and not a king, but they wanted security. They wanted it in the same strength that the rest of the culture found. And when the aggressive Philistine culture came to threaten the people of God, they immediately assumed they should respond like the culture. Goliath has a bronze helmet. Let's put a bronze helmet on David. Goliath has a sword. Let's make sure David has a sword. Goliath has a suit of armor. Let's suit David up, even if it means he can't move. I have seen so many examples of the modern church trying to respond to the surrounding culture's giant an aggressive customer culture that trades in happiness and success, give people what they want, make no demands, be accommodating, pass out all-day suckers. How about coupons for foot massages instead of commitments to foot washing, associate pastor for teenage fun? People just don't like giving to institutions. What will make you happy? This story is true. I saw this on a Facebook ad. I won't tell you which Georgia congregation because I'm embarrassed for them. Their Facebook ad encouraged all in the community to come to their Christmas service. Not their Christmas party, their Christmas worship service. They were going to have a climbing wall, a Santa, a concert with fog machine and lights, but you would need a ticket because they did not want overcrowding. Lift up your skates and follow me. Second Ponce is just not wearing that helmet and mail. We have a different calling. We cannot wear armor that doesn't fit who we are. The turning point of this David and Goliath story is not the fight itself. It's David recognizing his own gifts, his own contribution, his way, and then bathing that in the abiding confidence of God. And I love the way this church has embraced a David identity when it doesn't look like other churches. I give thanks that we're not trying to wear somebody else's armor. And this is not a knock on any other church. It's just an affirmation that you know who you are and you're confident enough to walk into the valley wearing your identity and not Saul's. We know what works for us, our unique gifts and strengths, and so we offer those along with our prayers for God's provision. 
And so we sing hymns and hug each other and call out each other's names. And we have the flexible courage to start an all-together service that doesn't play the organ and sing the doxology every week. We collect six carloads of hats, gloves, and coats because some of Atlanta's population is homeless and Jesus loves them. In this room, we read responsively. Our voices come together. And then we go to other rooms where a nine-year-old stands next to a 90-year-old working together on a mission project. We sign a commitment to time, money, and prayer for a missionary family in Belgium because they're baptizing people in the truth of God's love, and we want to support and be a part of that life-giving ministry. We change diapers, go to birthday parties, pray for each other's recovery. We argue our biblical differences, vote differently, and then come here and celebrate our unity in Christ. Coming to the table together, forgiving each other, trying to love people who are not like us. We play the pipe organ, listen to anthems from a robed choir, and take flowers to homebound people and sit by hospital beds and dedicate children. Together, these are all a part of our beautiful uniqueness. And we can never try to wear somebody else's armor. This is who we are. And we have seen from this story and so many others what God can do and will do when we trust our own unique gifts, but given into the confidence of God's provision. Goliath was expecting a warrior like himself to come forward for a brutal hand-to-hand combat. It never would occur to him that the battle would not be fought on his terms. So when David reaches the valley, Goliath is insulted because they've sent a kid. And Goliath prepares for sure victory. But remember, David has trusted God and what he brought David has no chance of beating up an armored giant. So he puts one of those smooth stones into the leather pouch of a sling, whips it around fast, slings the stone, hits the exposed forehead of the giant Goliath, and he falls down stunned. There's a line from a church uh, children's program that says, Goliath was six cubits and a span tall, and David hit him right in the span. And while Goliath was still dazed by the rock hitting him in the forehead, David ran forward, took the giant's sword, killed him, cut off his head. When the Philistine army saw it, the Bible says, they fled. No kidding. The battles are God's to win. David was to be true to himself and prayerful and confident before God. And he didn't need to be like everybody else. David trusted that his best self, his best gifts underneath God's blessing would always be enough. Trusting that no giant is too big if we're true to our best self and trusting ultimately that God is the one 
who will overcome the giant. How will you respond to God's love for you? What's the next step in your faith journey toward following a God who defeats the giants that are still around? I hope you'll consider what's next for you as we stand and sing together. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.